Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, everyone. Um, on a stand up here, if you have a question, I will uh, try to give a response. If no one asks questions, I stand up here, I feel uncomfortable and awkward. And so don't be afraid to ask questions. I have no comments uh, prior to any uh, questions. We need to be done shortly after 310 to transition into evening prayer. So the sooner one of you f has uh, courage to ask a question, the sooner the ice will be broken and we can begin. Monsignor, I have a question for you. You talk about creating this relationship with Christ. Uh, we all strive, I think, in our own way to do that. Yeah. But it's a very, very difficult process to develop that personal relationship. The advice you always get is pray. But sometimes that doesn't work as well as you guys think it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> so give us some practical ideas. Pra practical, sir, if you would stay up, practical ideas on what specifically? The personal relationship? Well, I don't want to rob my thunder for tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, I hope to articulate effectively how you and I receive this love that is pouring out of the heart of God into our heart. And the choice we make, where we make it, how we make it, when we make it. So um, I don't want to get into that uh, uh, tonight, sir. What's that? Um, yeah, a, t a, t a teaser. Well, <laughs> all, all of this... All of this, right, of course, has to happen within faith. Within faith. So the, the greatest challenge to living in intimacy with God is actually living out of faith and not out of a practical atheism. In other words, for me to say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is with me, but when I feel alone... I actually believe that feeling. But it's not true. Either that feeling's not true, or Jesus lied to me when he said, I am with you always. And so to develop this personal, intimate relationship, I have to actually start living by what Jesus has revealed. Namely, he is with me. And anything that says he isn't, thoughts, feelings, circumstances, I know that isn't true. And if I'm a man of faith, I don't believe it. And instead I say, Jesus, thank you for being with me. It hasn't felt like that for four days, but that's fine. I trust you. And when the feeling comes up, you say, shut up. Thank you, Jesus, for being with me. <laughs> if you don't, and you actually, actually take in this feeling, one is now consenting to that which is against the gospel. I'm living faithlessly. 
I am not a man of faith. And so now I go to pray. And I wonder why God doesn't show up when I've been living faithlessly for the last four days. I've been saying yes to everything that's opposed to God. Now you got me mad. The hardest thing to live in the life of faith is baptism. It's the most demanding truth to live, that the blessed trinity dwells with me. And we have to confess when we start consenting to things that disagree with that, and we believe them over Jesus. It's a rejection of Jesus. I'm rejecting him. I'm saying you don't, you're not faithful to your promises. Since I feel you're not with me, I decide you lied. And then we wonder why we don't have joy or peace. And then the other problem is this. And this is really a big problem for young people. It's a really big problem for college kids. It's a really big problem for college girls. Because the distance between I am alone and I'm not loved, the distance between the two is about that far. And once I start believing this feeling, I'm alone, I very quickly start believing I'm not loved. And once I start believing I'm not loved, I get desperate. And then I make really stupid choices. And it's all because I'm choosing not to believe what Jesus revealed. So this heart thing isn't about feelings, following feelings. It is about believing the truth Jesus has revealed. And then that gets into my feelings. Into my affections. He made me do it, ma'am. Thanks for your patience. That's just fine. That was really good. I appreciate that. Now, this might sound funny, but it's, it's, I think it'll help me. I hope others, too. I know you're a good speller. I was not... Five-time Burley County Spelling Bee <laughs> champion. But as I was hearing your word for gut, compassion, I wasn't completely hearing it. Could you spell it to us, please? Oh, splachna. Yes. Okay, you need to understand this is a transliterated word from Greek, so it's not like an English word. Uh, it's just taking sigma, pi, lambda, oh. blah, 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 and turning it into English letters. Okay. So the Greek letters would be one thing, but the transliteration into English is S-P-L-A-G, actually. Sometimes there's a gamma in there, sometimes there isn't, but I put it in G-C-H-N-A. Splachna. Thank you. Yes. 
you talked, I can't remember exactly how you said it, I think about the storeroom of affect and... Thoughts. Thoughts. And, and uh, it seems to me a really essential place for us to grow in our spirituality. And, and I equate it with St. Teresa of Avila's room of self-knowledge in the interior castle. Mm -hmm. But it also seems to me like in the church a place that we have often ignored and where we lose a lot of people to psychology. Could you address that? Yeah. Um, if I understand what you're saying, ma'am, I, I think you're right on that, <clears throat> that anyone who believes following Jesus doesn't involve affections and emotions and feelings is inhuman. To think Pentecost happened and they didn't feel anything is outrageous. To think they met the risen Christ and it didn't make them feel good is bizarre. And to think you and I can meet the risen Christ and it does nothing but put a nice sort of pulled truth in my head, yep, Jesus rose. No, Jesus rose, I met him, and my life has changed forever. I thought everything was lost, and now it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. You can bet your bottom dollar your heart explodes with gratitude, joy, thanksgiving, hope. So you're right. I've never been comfortable with priests at wedding homilies who say love isn't about feelings. I know what they're saying. Ultimately, love is about the will. It's a virtue. But the fact is, filial love, eros, all these things are, include, the, include the affections. And if my will is really about choosing what is good for the other, it protects them. And so I do have heartfelt care for this person I'm choosing to uh, will the good for. Not all the time, but it's protecting it, and that grows. So feelings aren't primary. Feelings aren't primary. But uh, do, do they include? Are they included in an intimate personal relationship? Yes. Are they included in the God who became one of us? Yes. But then in order to go to that place where we meet that God who, who uh, generates all of our feelings, we have to become honest about what's in the storeroom. Yeah. And you got to stop right there or they're not going to come tomorrow. <laughs> But dear, dear lady, I would, I would want to qualify what you just... God doesn't create all our feelings. God doesn't create our, all our feelings. We would say any thought, any feeling, any desire, any thought, feeling, or desire, any thought, feeling, or desire, any thought, feeling, or desire that directly impacts my relationship with God 
in a positive way, if you follow that desire back to its source, you'll end up in the heart of God. Any thought, feeling, or desire that affects my, directly affects my relationship with God in a negative way, I, I'm not attracted to prayer. It's a waste of time. You can be guaranteed thought, any thought, feeling, or desire that says that, you trace that back like a tributary to its river, it will, end up, it will lead you to the heart of the enemy. And if you follow that, you are following what's coming from the enemy who wants to harm you. So not every feeling comes from God. And then there's, then there's all the whole gamut of feelings that aren't directly connected to that. Uh, like I feel like eating a chocolate chip cookie right now. Thank you. You're welcome. We, we would, we would in, in the world I live in, we would talk about three levels of the heart. And what one looks at is the third level, which are thoughts, feelings, and desires that directly affect your relationship with God. Yes, miss. Um, when you were speaking about the foundation of a lively faith, and you mentioned two threats for people sitting in the pews, um, you also mentioned that you might say something different if you were speaking to high school or college students. Hmm. Uh, so what would you identify as two threats for high school or college students? Well, I would, I would identify those as well, but I think uh, another big one with uh, younger people, I, I taught high school for four years. And for young people, especially young men, um, I think a threat to their faith is a perceived inability that the faith can't be def defended intellectually. And so with young people, apologetics, strong, clear teaching is very important. And if a 19-year-old man, 20-year-old man, can't defend what he believes intellectually, he's at risk. Father Josh Eli, he's a priest in our diocese, uh, Bishop Gruce was his uh, vice rector, correct, Bishop? His vice rector, he became a priest, he'll tell you, because uh, another buddy of mine, Father Austin Vetter, was his religion teacher and taught effectively and powerfully when he was a senior in high school our teaching on transubstantiation, that the bread and the wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity, and how that could be true and how that could be defended and it's not hocus-pocus. It's not put your head in the sand sort of thinking that it's more reasonable to believe that than to believe otherwise. That truth so convinced him that the church knows what she's talking about that it catapulted him into going to Mass and then everything else he thought the church was a little... And then... From there, it, it ended up getting into the level of the aff affective dimension. But with, with uh, younger people, huh, their affect is so wild. <laughs> their, their affect is so wild that you got to be careful about, you know, follow your heart. I'm not so sure I want a 20-year-old college male following what he thinks <laughs> is his heart. 
Thank you. Does that make sense? Yes, perfect. <laughs> so with young people, young men, the church has to prove she can defend rationally what she believes. And that wins them over, in my opinion. When you were talking about God's foundational initiative, you said you had five words, misericordiae. Ah. Uh, what yeah. are the other three? Splach needs like uh, Yeah, the other three. So um, I didn't have enough time to go through my whole talk. It's about an hour. Um, and I actually, the Old Testament roots for uh, the mercy that was in Yahweh, the New Testament, Splach and then another Greek word, and then the Latin tradition of misericordia. The other Greek word, the Old Testament, is eleos, from which we get eleison, curiae, Eleison, Lord, have mercy. Eleos, the actual, from, from what I've read and from the scholars, they say Eleos actually means to pour out. And it was used most commonly with pouring out oil. So Kyrie Eleison is, Lord, pour yourself out on us, which now, right, is the image of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and now seeing mercy as this presence of God being poured into us and over us. And any of you who go to daily mass and you leave with this refreshment, this soothing in your soul, that is God poured out into you. His eleos. His anointing. And he wants you to take that in and enjoy it and relish it and believe what's being said to you in it. Derek, he was a seminary, well, he was a, he was a senior in high school at the time. Uh, they went... Um, in the Diocese of Bismarck, one of the great, 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 great things that uh, happens in the Diocese of Bismarck is over a long time and a lot of work and a lot of great uh, people involved, every summer now, all three high schools come together and there's a pilgrimage for juniors between their junior and senior year. And like 140 or something like that, 125 kids go over on a pilgrimage to Rome in Assisi with five chaplains. And um, men, th that's where many of our vocations come from. A lot of these kids have their heart awakened for the first time there. Their heart's awakened. And it's awakened through the church. Christ awakens it with them being immersed in the church, not at some evangelical revival in the civic center, which is important that they experience their heart being awakened in the heart of the church. And so they're, when they fall in love with Christ, they fall in love with the church at the same time. Um, but... Derek came back. This was, um, I don't know, eight years ago. I was at St. Anne's in Bismarck at the time. 
and he came back and he started going to daily mass. So I'm saying mass there and this young 17-year-old, 18-year-old guy shows up and he starts going to daily mass during the summer, you know. And one time I pulled him aside and I said, uh, Derek, um, I've noticed you're going to mass and I'm the vocation director. <laughs> so I'd be really dumb not to talk to you. I said, uh, why are you going to daily mass, you know? 18-year-old men, 8 a.m. in the summer, there's all kinds of things uh, they would be doing or could be doing, most of them sleeping. Why are you going to daily mass? And he said this. He said, when I was in Rome, something happened, Monsignor. And I, I don't know why I'm going to mass, really. All I know is when I go to mass, I leave refreshed. That's eleos. That is the mercy of God claiming this man's heart. And he's supposed to say yes to it. And what's being told to him about himself is true and he needs to embrace it. Embrace it. So, Amy, that was the other Greek word. And then the two, the two Hebrew words are hesed, Hesed and Rachamim. I don't know if either of them are supposed to have a ch, but I think it sounds cool. <laughs> and it make you think that I know something about Hebrew and I don't. <laughs> but I don't have time to go into those definitions. St. John Paul II in Divis and Misericordia say those two words, and you need them both. You need them both to get the true picture of the mercy that was in Yahweh. Hesed, he describes as a masculine love, and um, Rahamim as a, a more motherly love, and you need them both. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, you had talked about our second threat being those who are sacramentalized. Very good. But not evangelicalized. Evan evangelized. evangelized. Um, how do you address that? How do you yeah. change that way of thinking Very in adults? Very good, my dear. Well, that, that is an extremely important question, and that's a question a pas pastor should think about every day. That is the question. Because the last thing we want is... A, see, the reason those two are dangerous isn't because they're more wrong or more anti-Christian than atheism or radical Islam, obviously, but it's because they think, they think they know what Christianity's about, and they don't. They don't. They, they still aren't even aware of what Catholicism is about, and they may have been in the pew for 30 years. And so they leave the church thinking that they have experienced the mystery, and they haven't. So that's why it's so dangerous. So the question is, how do you, open, how do you awaken one's heart? Um, well, that, that in itself is extremely mysterious. They would need to be willing to inquire about that. And if they would, I would tell them what I'm going to say tomorrow.
<laughs> but a good, a good beginning. And so for me, for, for, for me, the, in my opinion, the front lines for the new evangelization is marriage preparation. That, that's the front lines for me. If I, if I could have every bride and groom with an awakened heart by the time we marry them in the church, wow. Wow, would that change a parish. And it's our last crack. For 95% of the people, it's going to be the last time they get an opportunity of focused time with a Catholic priest. And we priests need to wake up and see that this is one of our greatest of opportunities. Problem is having enough time and all that stuff, you know, and them being open to it. But I think we can win them over for the most part. And what I presented today, I think, is the way. You don't begin with doctrine. Although you can, as long as it's, it's done in a way that, that addresses this. Um... Yeah, doctrine or um, moral teaching necessarily. But, but I tried to go the route of, of uh, this whole thing of Jesus being with you. And to help them see how they don't believe that most of the time. And then one of the big questions that's helpful that uh, makes them a, a connection between me and them is I asked them this question, Johnny, Margaret, if I can be so nosy, tell me about the last time you felt close to God. And I'm telling you, there is next to no one who doesn't have an answer for that. It might have been 30 years ago, but it's amazing. You can have the most unchurched person and they will say, well, on this day, in this place, with this person, this happened. And it, I felt close to God. Oh, did you like that? Yeah. Would you like to be able to live in that more often? Yeah. And then from there, you go into then the other stuff. And to help them see that that is Christ. And there's nothing better than him. There's nothing more attractive than Christ. And so you believe Christ is God? Yep. You liked how he tasted? Yep. You know how you get him? By being true to him. So how about this moral issue in your life? Are you willing to give that up for him? How bad do you want this? That's how I try to do it. If they don't buy it, I tell them to go next parish across town. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're over time. Thank you.